Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, the news. China struck back this week in the trade war with the U.S., releasing a white paper outlining its stance and taking several moves against American entities. The white paper placed sole blame on the U.S. for problems in the two countries' ongoing but as yet unsuccessful negotiations. China also said it plans to place foreign firms considered to have damaged the interests of its companies on an unreliable entity list. The move is an apparent response to the U.S. putting Huawei on its so-called entity list, effectively banning U.S. companies from selling to the Chinese telecom giant. FedEx seems to have been the first victim of Chinese retaliatory scrutiny as Beijing began investing it for wrongful delivery of packages and may designate it as an untrustworthy foreign entity. We expected China's manufacturing to slip into contraction in May, but things were worse than anticipated as export orders fell sharply amid continuing U.S.-China trade war pressures. The sector's employment gauge was also dragged down to its lowest level since early 2009. Weakening new orders, particularly for exports, were the main drag on the index, amid cooling global demand and increasing trade tensions. After the U.S. announced an increase in tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods to 25% earlier this month, Beijing retaliated by raising levies on U.S. imports starting from June 1st. A mid-level official in North China has been accused of accepting bribes worth over $14 million. Quite a bit of money for someone his rank, but not terribly surprising in China. What was surprising? He was also found to be illegally in possession of four guns, an unusually serious charge for someone of his position or for anyone. Ma Chaoqun, a former deputy party secretary at a state-owned water company in the resort city of Qinhuangdao, allegedly accepted the bribes from 1998 to 2014, according to charges announced at a three-day trial. Interestingly, according to court transcripts, Ma could not explain the origin of the alleged bribes. While the reason for that is unclear, officials involved in past corruption cases have often withheld explanation in order to avoid implicating others. The court said it would announce its ruling soon. 
Cheaper Tesla cars set to hit the Chinese market soon could lure price-sensitive buyers away from budget-friendly domestic brands. But local electric vehicle makers Neo and Xpeng say they aren't phased by the change. Tesla announced Friday that its China-produced Model 3 cars would start at just over 47,000 U.S. dollars, 13% cheaper than the imported cars it currently sells in the country. The basic non-imported Model 3 is priced close enough to the mid-range of China's domestic electric vehicle offerings to snatch some prospective buyers away from local brands, analysts say. However, Neo and Xpeng, Tesla's major local competitors, have brushed off the threat from Tesla. Quote, Tesla should have further lowered the price by 10,000 U.S. dollars, close quote. Xpeng's chairman said on his WeChat account, adding that Xpeng's cars were on par with the Tesla Model 3 in terms of battery quality and operating system. Tesla opened a car factory near Shanghai, its first outside the U.S., earlier this year. The entry of locally made Teslas into the Chinese market is set to mitigate some of the effects higher import tariffs have had on the company amid an ongoing trade war. China's rapidly growing short video industry is threatening to overtake its long video peer due to its social media friendliness and the vast number of Chinese mobile users. Revenue of China's short video industry saw explosive 750% year-on-year growth last year, according to industry group China Netcasting Services Association. The long video market's gains were a modest 17%. According to the report, the market for long videos, such as TV series, is mainly dominated by three platforms, namely Alibaba's Yoku, Baidu's iQiyi, and Tencent Video. Leading short video apps, such as Douyin, which is known as TikTok overseas, and its peer Kuaishou, feature videos less than 60 seconds long, uploaded by celebrities and ordinary users alike. The content is as varied as lip-syncing to pop music, sleepy toddlers nodding off while walking, recipes, and Excel spreadsheet formulas. Yay. Short video platforms usually make their majority of revenues from advertising, while long-form platforms rely on subscriptions. Shares in companies that make electronic tolling systems, which allow cars to whiz past unmanned toll booths without stopping, have begun soaring. Why? Because China announced that such systems would be put into place at all borders between China's provinces. Over the next two years, China will eliminate all of its manned toll booths, and a cashless system known as electronic toll collection will be implemented in their place. This means traveling across China will no longer require people to stop at toll booths between neighboring provinces because electronic readers will communicate with linked transponders in cars that drive past, automatically charging the driver. The toll will typically be charged to an account linked to the transponder, which drivers then top up. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now, as we do each week, to some of Caixin Global's reporters and editors for a closer look at some of the stories in the news. First up is David Curtin reporter for Caixin Global, and uh, we're talking rare earths today, David. Remind any listeners who may have been living in a cave or under a rock why rare earths are in the news these days. 
Right. Well, um, it's in the news because China is the world's biggest supplier of rare earths. Now, these are 17 chemical elements that are used in advanced manufacturing and used in all sorts from glass to electric vehicle battery parts to uh, military hardware. The U.S. is highly dependent on uh, imports for its rare earth supply, but it needs them for all sorts of advanced in- industries. And uh, as uh, the trade war has been heating up, China has been increasingly hinting that it might actually use its power of the U.S. in supplying exports of rare earths to it as a bargaining chip. And that's kind of catching the world's attention. So what exactly has China said it might do? And maybe give us a sense for how much leverage its dominance in rare earths processing actually gives it. Well, Kaiser, it seems that China's been uh, quite hesitant to play the uh, rare earth card too soon. It's faced you what, $200 billion worth of sanctions from the U.S., um, which rose last month. It's not got much that it can put on uh, U.S. imports itself, uh, given that the trade balance is so bad, but it really dominates the U.S. in, in, in this area. Um, and now there's been this subtle buildup over the last few months. The uh, Ministry for industry has been uh, visiting rare earth production sites and that's making its way into state news uh, last month Xi Jinping visited a rare earth factory that was seen by many as a clear signal uh, that this is a weapon that China could potentially use. But more recently, um, the uh, Ministry of Commerce came out and said that it would potentially uh, be willing to use restrictions on rare earths on any country that um, was seen to uh, be suppressing China's development. And so that was seen as a very direct reference to the US. And uh, that's what's got everyone speculating uh, what might happen next and whether China would actually pull the rare earth card out. Finally, David, how much fear is this really putting into American industries that are reliant on on Chinese rare earth elements? Um, Does this really have them spooked or has this turned out to be maybe less potent of a weapon than, than Beijing might have originally thought? Well, I mean, I think a lot of uh, analysts in the U.S. and China watches are actually scrambling to get a sense of what rare earths actually do. I mean, like with the rest of us. But uh, the U.S. is dependent on China for 80 percent of its supply of rare earths. And that's that's major just for, you know, high end production and manufacturing, but also for its military. Uh, a lot of rare earth components go into, for example, coating military jets or it's used in the radar system. Uh, so it's really big for the U.S. military as well. At the same time the u.s just doesn't have its own supplies so at the moment we're really seeing this as a a trump card that's highly problematic and would be very difficult for the u.s to deal with so uh, let's see well thanks for talking to us about this david cheers next up is doug young managing editor of tyson global in beijing doug we're talking today about a hong kong restaurant that's in the news one that i think many people who've spent some time in that part of the world know about Uh, what is this eatery and uh, why is it worthy of our attention yeah, there's uh, actually a story that's that's uh, got some personal meaning for me, uh, which we can talk about in a few minutes. But um, it's a very local but famous Hong Kong chain, and it's called uh, a restaurant chain, I should say. It's called uh, Tai Hing, which means sort of too happy. Uh, but it's one of these sort of institutions in Hong Kong. Uh, they're very famous for their roast meats and for their ice milk tea. And they've, like a lot of things in China and Hong Kong, it sort of like started with an original restaurant. I guess it's like that way in the U.S. Like McDonald's started with a single restaurant. 
uh, KFC started with a single restaurant as well, and and they've sort of parlayed that into you know a reasonably sized chain. So when you hit a certain size, you know what did McDonald's and KFC do? They both became public companies, and and that's what the news here is with Taihing. Uh, they've just filed to make a listing and an IPO in Hong Kong. And it's a fair size. I mean, it's not huge, but for a restaurant chain, it's certainly not bad. They're looking to raise about $120 million. Presumably, they'll use that to expand the franchise. And they've already started opening stores here in in mainland China. They've got uh, six or seven stores here in Beijing. They've got a few in Shanghai as well. And obviously, Hong Kong's their home base. So uh, things are looking pretty good. This one actually follows the other real famous Hong Kong chain that does similar stuff is is called uh, Cui Hua. And they actually did an IPO similar about five, six years ago. So you mentioned a personal relationship with the restaurant. Uh, You lived in in Hong Kong for some years, if I recall. Uh, Was that a place that you frequented? It's interesting because, yeah, this IPO, honestly speaking, isn't that huge. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is just because it does have a, a bit of a personal place for me, a soft spot in my heart. I've lived in Hong Kong uh, six years altogether over the years, but in, in three different stints. But on, on my last stint in Hong Kong, which would have been 2009 to 2010, I just happened to live right down the street from a Thai Hing, which was actually probably, I think it's one of the original restaurants. I mean, it's certainly not in some fancy shopping mall. It was it was pretty local, very neighborhoody. And it was great. You know, uh, again, uh, people who aren't familiar with Hong Kong food, this Roast meats, uh, there, there are four or five very specific ones. There's roast goose, and then they call it like soya chicken. Uh, and then uh, the one that a lot of people do know is cha shao, which is uh, roast pork. Um, it's sort of like a barbecue pork. And then there's a, a very fatty uh, beef dish that they do. Uh, like a, It's got very crispy skin. Those are like the four or five big ones. So years from now, banished from Hong Kong, our intrepid editor, Doug Young, has one final opportunity to eat at Taihing. What does he order? Well, this is what I would always order. They're, they're, they're roast meats or their their famous thing, but they have a thing you know, where you can get combos, like two or three of the roast meats on a, a big plate of rice. And then each of the roast meats, the other thing that's sort of cool about them is they each have their own unique dipping sauce. Like the chicken has this real ginger and scallion and and uh, some kind of oil, maybe sesame oil. Whereas the, the duck has this sort of, I'm uh, sorry, the goose has this sweet sauce and then typically dip the roast beef uh, in mustard. So, you know, each one has its own thing and I, I like all of them. Usually would get a combo with a big bowl of rice. And then the other thing they're famous for is that uh, ice milk tea, which is just, it's just great. Um, my favorite. So I'm, I'm in heaven when I got my plate of rice, three roasted meats and, and a nice cup of ice milk tea. And somehow you managed to stay pretty thin. <laughs> yes. Well, Doug, we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, no show next week, but the week after. All right. Thanks, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Ufei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the ever-expanding Seneca network. 
And be sure to follow the news from China every day at subchina.com. Subscribe to our newsletter there at subchina.com. Take care.